0: Now, so far, we have walked through different doctrines of the faith. And this week, we've spent several weeks, really, if you notice, we've spent several weeks kind of picking up the doctrine of salvation and kind of almost like a diamond looking at it from different angles into the depths of what it means to be saved, what the gospel means. The, these three weeks, last week we spoke a little bit about Actually, four weeks we're going to spend on this. The first week we spoke a little bit about the nature of the church, what it looks like. Last week we spoke a little bit about uh, church membership and church discipline, which are always you know, popular beyond belief when you talk about them. And uh, we have a couple more weeks we're going to look at the church as we build towards the end of our class. This week we want to look in particular at the offices, and the governance of the church, and so I hope to do the best I can to make this fascinating. I looked at it tonight and I thought, man, people got to be thrilled when they look at the offices and the governance of the church. Um, Next week we'll look at baptism and the Lord's Supper, which will naturally flow out of this entire conversation about the church. Hopefully, you shouldn't think of the Lord's Supper and baptism separate from church membership and what it means to be a part of a church. They should go as a part of that picture. And so, everything we've been working towards will build and serve as a foundation to look at baptism and the Lord's Supper next week. But this week, I'd like to spend a little bit of time looking at the the government, and I'm not going to have time, when I mean government, I mean how the church is organized leadership-wise. How do we see the church? And then from that, we want to look at what we would call the two offices of the church. And I'll explain by offices in a moment what I mean. But I've kind of veered a little bit from the book, and I continue to do that. Uh, this week I'll do the same. And what I have there at the top of your page is... Many of you may or may not be familiar with what we call the Baptist faith and message. If you came through our new members class, uh, Discover HG, you would see us spend some focused time looking at the Baptist faith and message. Uh, If you were to go onto our website and go to look at what we believe, you would find the statement of the Baptist faith and message. It's It's a summary of the core things we hold together as believers. We might come across a verse of scripture every now and then, or look at some belief about the end times and differ as Christians. Even in this room, people that love the gospel, love Jesus, who are Baptists and believe things to our core, we're going to look sometimes and have differing beliefs. However, we as a church body would gather and say these are the Baptist faith. The message is a is kind of as we dwindle it down, whittle it down, it is the core of what we hold together as a body of believers. It would be the minimum of which bonds us together as believers. So, as saying that, I thought what might be good tonight is to look at the statement we have on the church. Now, there are several things in here that deal with more than just this week, but I want to draw from a few words from it. It'll help us help inform us about what our governance looks like and even speak to what we believe about the two offices of the church. So let me just read it to you, and then we'll walk through just a few words I would like to pull out. The church. A New Testament church of the Lord Jesus Christ is an autonomous local congregation of baptized believers associated by covenant, in the faith and fellowship of the gospel, observing the two ordinances of Christ, the ordinances by this means baptism and the Lord's Supper, governed by His laws, exercising the gifts, rights, and privileges invested in them by His Word, and seeking to extend the gospel to the ends of the earth. Each congregation operates under the Lordship of Christ through democratic processes. In such a congregation, each member is responsible and accountable to Christ as Lord. Its scriptural offices are pastors and deacons. While both men and women are gifted for service in the church, the office of pastor is li- limited to men as qualified by Scripture. The New Testament also speaks, speaks also of the church as the body of Christ, which includes all the redeemed, of all the ages, believers from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So there's two paragraphs there. We've spoken about this earlier in the class. We speak about a universal, global church, and then we speak about local churches. The second paragraph is the, is the global church. It's the universal church. It's everybody for all time that has been a part of the church, but then it's organized in local congregations. That's the top paragraph. It's defining what a local church is should look like. So, having said that, I'd like to pull a few phrases. I don't have enough time to deal with everything tonight, but a few phrases and spend some time explaining to you what in particular, in really in some ways, what in particular it means to be Baptist. Oftentimes you walk in a church, you walk in a Baptist church like this, uh sometimes the joke is there's no there's no dancing, and that's kind of in people's mind what Baptists don't do. I mean it's kind of the definition but that's that's not right and then if we press that further most times people think the main distinguishing mark is baptism that, that's what distinguishes us which is true but probably not the main point point. and I'll get to that in a moment but baptism is a key part but this phrase here autonomous local congregation of baptized believers is a distinction of who we are as Baptists. In particular, how we organize ourselves. So let me give you the first word here. It's the word autonomous. Autonomous. Meaning that we are an independent congregation and responsible for ourselves. Meaning that we as a church body, decide what we do. There is not an organization above us that dictates how we operate. To clarify, a a Catholic church answers to Rome. There is somebody giving some sort of direction to that church. You you could say the same for, um, and I'll mention this a little bit more as we go, Uh, Presbyterians oftentimes, Methodists are the same way. Have you ever been a part of a Methodist church? Oftentimes the the pastor leaves. There's a higher group that will then install and send a new pastor. The the church doesn't decide on the pastor. There's a higher organization that picks that. If, If a pastor or any staff member leaves, we, Hickory Grove Baptist Church, picks our pastor we decide these things there there's not an a body above that that decides in in fact this even presses further nobody outside of us owns our buildings meaning that we as a church body own the facility you say why is that such a big deal well um i'll get to this more about being a southern baptist church in a moment but why it's such a big deal is uh this has happened in several denominations, where as the large mainline denomination begins to shift in some sort of belief that that local church no longer affirms. Okay? So if for some reason the Southern Baptist Convention decided to choose to affirm that the Bible is not all true and started to leave what we would say is Orthodox Christianity, then if we were to say We no longer want to be Southern Baptists. Really, nothing happens. We just disassociate, and we could continue to function, and probably the average person in the pew, other than maybe some of the ways we operate with our missionaries and a few of the seminaries we go to, wouldn't actually notice much difference at all. You probably wouldn't notice it. If this is happening right now in America with different denominations, I read about this several years ago with the Presbyterian Church, They were a part of the PCUSA. That denomination made turns away from the Orthodox Christianity. They had millions of dollars of buildings and facilities. They, as a local congregation, did not affirm anything. They still held to the Bible and to the Gospel, and they were in a jam because they didn't own any of their facilities. And so, as they decide to go off somewhere else, they don't have any of that ability. Now, I say that just again, they're not calling that all terrible. I am saying that what this means is that we are autonomous. So, when you hear us say we're a Southern Baptist church, it's being by being Southern Baptist we affiliate with some with them. We're we're saying we're we're joining together. So, what I mean here, as we press. Further, because i want to give a little more analogy of it is that we are a local congregation the bible oftentimes speaks about a local congregation making its own decisions you don't see there's some sort of deciding authority whenever a church has to make a decision let's take matthew 18 i mentioned it the other week when somebody a church goes to make a decision about dealing with some sort of church discipline and somebody's excommunicated? Do they have to call a higher authority or is the church able to do that by itself autonomous? The church can. Acts chapter 6, they need deacons. What does the church do? The church, local church, decides to call deacons. So anytime you see a move in the local church, it's decided on a local level. There's not some sort of appeal to something greater. Now, the Bible doesn't, this is where I don't know, this may get too detailed, I don't know. This isn't like I have a ton of biblical text on it. In fact, probably more of an argument of silence from the Bibles Bible. Is on this. In fact, there's not some sort of instruction. We're instructed to organize certain ways. We're not instructed to create some overarching hierarchy that oversees all the churches of the world. So that's why we don't do it. And that's why there will be Presbyterian churches that believe the gospel, I wouldn't affirm some of the things they do, but I believe there are Christians that are in Presbyterian churches. But I wouldn't affirm how they organize as a church. But they're still reading the Bible, still love the Lord. And so there are ways in which we can separate there. I just wouldn't affirm how they do church. And they can read their Bible, and I want to say that we believe it, we think it's there, but it's not as clear as the Gospel. So we're not going to, There's kind of three levels. There's gospel level. There's we might not go to church together level. And then there's, hey, we can all go to church and still disagree on that Bible verse level. So for us, we can still call them Christians. Uh, In in many ways, I want you to think about when we join the Southern Baptist Convention, think about it like maybe you as a family could decide that your kids are going to play in a recreation league. They're going to play basketball in a recreation league. When I do that, I go join this league. Well, as a member of that league, my kids are playing in this league. They're a part of it. Me and a group of people have gotten together and organized to say, we want to have basketball. And so we, because the mission of basketball, have organized as a group. We've created some rules about how we're going to organize. We're going to say that a basket is worth two points, right? We're going to have certain things that set guidelines about when we gather together. But does that basketball league now take over and rule my house? My house is still completely autonomous. The Powers family does not rule. We have a choice. We can either choose to be a part of the basketball league or not a part of the basketball league. So when we're a part of the Southern Baptist Convention, we're choosing to join with churches all over the world, particularly, I mean, really, the Southern Baptist Convention is in the U.S., but we're choosing to plant churches all over the world, and we're joining with other churches to create an organization so that we might send people as missionaries it is it's very similar we're still an autonomous church don't tell us what to do but we are a part of this effort to say we all want to do the same thing together so it gives you an idea sometimes people don't understand how we are different as a denomination because we are autonomous local churches and if let me let me do it the other way if i don't obey the rules in the league the league will disassociate with me. So there might be times that the, the Southern Baptist Convention will say you no longer fall in the lines of orthodoxy for us so no longer can you play in the league. See what I'm saying? You can't be a part of this. But it, it's it's more or less of just either you're either with us or not. They can't go to the church and said let me tell you all the things you are going to do. Because those churches are still all times. Okay. So maybe this is interesting. I hope it is. It's it's stuff that helps you. Under, you say, well, I don't know why that church is Baptist, that church is Methodist. What is it's distinct about us? How is it different? All right, so let me press uh, a little bit further. As a church, by being autonomous, one of the things that I want you to understand is that there are a lot of decisions because of our size that are made oftentimes in committees and other places. But the final An ultimate rule of Hickory Grove Baptist Church is with the people. And let me tell you why. There's a few things that can only be done through a church vote. Uh, We cannot change senior pastors without an affirmation of the entire church. So if you recall, when Clint Presley came as senior pastor, that was a vote on a Sunday morning by the membership to affirm that change. There's not a group of people that can get behind closed doors, change that out, and that not involve the church affirming it. we can't buy and sell land that's something that has to be brought before the church and then you even notice oftentimes on a wednesday night you may not think about it but when we have our meetings in here there'll be something at the end we present the budget and we interact we're bringing that to the church body and so all of this is the idea that now i've been at churches baptist churches that i remember one time we voted on whether to buy a set of drums if we voted on every purchase like that we'd all go crazy around here Uh, so there's a level in which we don't do all of those details but the big major backstop big decisions are made as a church body at our church so there's a couple little pieces about being autonomous a local congregation ultimately i want to point out from ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 and 16 that even though those are all true and before I speak about the two offices of the church, we believe Christ is Lord of the church. There is nobody that sits as head over the church like Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in Him in every way, into Him, speaking of Christ, who is the head into Christ. "...from whom the whole body, the entire body, is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love." Ultimately, in the governance of the church, the head of the entire body of Christ is Christ. He is ultimately the head of our church. But below that, we do believe the Bible has established two offices. Now what do we mean by office? We do not mean what is up on the third floor that has my desk in the middle of the room. We don't mean when you think of somebody's office. We mean like a position. So you might hear it said like this, the office of the President of the United States, the office of the Attorney General. We're not actually talking about a room. We're speaking about that particular position of power. So we're speaking about places in which people have have been put in leadership so we say the office of president we mean that literal position so we believe there are two god-ordained positions in the church we would call them the offices of the church now some this is where again i don't want to i've tried to not run a bunch of rabbit trails some churches will hold to more than that i saw so one way of categorizing i think is helpful There are actually two ordinary offices that we experience today. The, what we would call pastor and deacon. Historically, in the Bible, you'll see two additional extraordinary offices. The the office of a prophet. You see people in the Bible acting as prophet. And then you'll see people acting uh, not only as prophet, but as an apostle. With a capital A. In the sense, in the, the New Testament, you see apostles this apostleship that Paul claims and that you see people writing the Bible, you you see this apostle that is doing miracles and connected to Christ, but that's something that as we moved away from Christ is no longer a part of the church. Those are extraordinary. The ordinary offices are pastor and deacon. So, look at the uh, Baptist faith and message one more time. I think i boldened the phrase towards the bottom of the first paragraph. Its scriptural offices of the church are pastors and deacons. I'm going to take a few minutes on each one to explain deacons and pastors. The term deacon comes from the Greek word diakonos. Is that on your paper? Okay, I spelled the Greek words for the other. I'll sp- I'll I put them on your paper so I wouldn't have to spell it. I'll spell this one. It, it's D I A K O N O S. D I A K O N O S. And oftentimes, just to I don't know if this is helpful or not. You know, there's a Greek alphabet, so whenever we're writing it in English, you may see. Sometimes these words written a little bit differently. It's because they're being translated a little bit different from the Greek written out. So you say, well, I saw it spelled this way. Well, everybody's writing in English what was actually a Greek word. But diakonos. The term means servant or minister. It's used some, I think, some 75 times in the New Testament. Most times it's used to describe serving someone. Jesus in John 12 will say, and hear my translation here, whoever deacons me must follow me, and where I am, my deacon will be. You see it? And if anyone deacons me, the Father will honor him. This idea of serving. So even in this phrase, it's just the word servant. Whoever serves me is translated. This isn't speaking about the office of deacon here. So sometimes it's written, this term, is not always describing the office. But I think roughly a third of those times are speaking specifically about deacons, the office, some way in which it's established in the church. So the office is most clearly pictured in Acts chapter 6. I think I have four points there. I'd like to point them out to you as far as what deacons are. I'll read the Scripture. I'll point them out as I go, just to show you some of what deacons are called to do. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So take a pause church has a problem. The widows are being neglected. And this isn't a spiritual problem in a sense. It's a physical one. Deacons help to serve with physical problems. Even though the physical impacts the spiritual, there is a level in which the servant deacon covers and helps with physical needs. You know, every time we get together, every time we do things as a church... There are physical things that need to happen to make it work. And so deacons serve in this role. So deacons care for physical needs. Let me show you another one here. Um, notice back at verse 1, they strive for unity. Notice what happens. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, what happened? A complaint, the dispute. That people there began to be, because of this issue of a physical need, it, it began to create disunity in the body of Christ. And so deacons serve in a role to bring unity in the church. It doesn't mean that we always agree on everything, but there's a part of what the deacons were serving this body in Acts 6 was keeping the church unified, providing unity in the body of Christ. Here's a, here's a third one. Deacons support the ministry of the elders notice the rest of the text here verse 2 And the 12th summon the full number of the disciples and they said it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of god to serve tables so here's the apostles in a sense or the elders you could say are now trying to focus on preaching the word and serving the tables they're they're not above it and here's why just to pause here for a second it's not that somehow an elder or pastor is above helping serve the physical needs they're doing it right here they're just saying hey in order to focus on the teaching of the word can you help that's essentially what's going on so it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of god and serve tables therefore brothers pick out from among you seven men of good repute notice notice the description of them here good repute full of the spirit and of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word and what they said pleased the whole gathering. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, uh, Perchorus, uh, Nicanor, and Timon and Parmenas, Nicholas, proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and they laid their hands on them. So if you want to say where do we get ordination from, you just saw it right there at the end. At the very end, they prayed, laid their hands on You see a picture of setting apart men, putting their hands on them, and the deacons go from there. So you get this idea of supporting the ministry of the church. The last piece is deacons have spiritual maturity. I read you, did you hear in the text? I tried to point it out when we read through it. Good repute, full of wisdom, the Spirit. So here's what's fascinating, just to take a pause. Even though what they were dealing with was a physical task, the Lord was concerned with a spiritual heart as they did it. So please, if you're involved in some sort of service ministry of the church and the Lord has you serving the church in some way, please don't disassociate some sort of physical activity from the spiritual condition of your heart. The Lord cares about your heart. And so even as these deacons are serving, they're doing it with a right heart. 1 Timothy 3, I have it there in your text. We'll get back to it in a minute with elders. There's a list of things required of a deacon. All of them. Listen to them. All of them have to do with character. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Let them also be tested first. Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless their wives likewise must be dignified not slanderers but sober-minded faithful in all things Let deacons each be the husband of one wife managing their household and their own husbands their own households well For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also a great confidence in the faith that is in christ jesus full list here is of character Devotional moment for you, since this whole talk is so devotional to all of you. Uh, God is always more concerned with your character than He is with your ability. I'll press it further. When the Bible speaks about the will of God for your life, it's always more about your holiness than it is about where you work, what you do for a living, where you live. He honestly cares much less about all of those things that feel so big to you than he does about you living a holy life. So when he puts some sort of stringent requirement on these deacons, it is all all character. So when the Bible speaks about the will of God, you're like, what is the will of God for my life? Where should I move or where should I go? That is under your holiness. Holiness is what he desires most. That's his will. Pause for a moment. I'll get to this and the other one. There is a clear, say clear, it has been handled a couple different ways. You notice in the statement, the Baptist faith and message that covers all Southern Baptists, I'm going to dive into this. I dive into mess every week, so I'll do it again this week. If you notice in there, it said only, it only clarified that for males to be pastors in the faith and message. However, to press it a step further, uh, we as a church, because of the reading of this text, will still see the same thing for deacons as well. The office for deacon is for males. You see it there in the text. Uh, it speaks about how they should uh, be a man of one wife. Uh to manage their household well, even speaks about their wives. And so the case is made, I think very clearly and rightly, uh, for deacons to be males. So that's just a distinction I'll make there. Uh, the argument, whether this is, I might not should go all into this depth. The argument that other people might would make is that it addresses the wives under deacons. does not do that under pastors. It's different. So... Uh, there will be I think godly people that will make that distinction there in the role of service uh, that may have female deacons uh, i'm I, If there were a church doing that, I would not call them full heretical uh, I would not throw that completely off the table. I, I think it 's going to be different if you have a female pastor it 's different so again that 's just my distinction there. I would still clearly hold and support for clarity here, that is all males for deacons. And that's how I would read it. If somebody chooses to read it the other way, it won't be nearly as bad as for pastors. Here's the main, the Bible's clear about authority, who, who it is that holds the authority in the church. There's no authority given here. This is a service role. So there, there's a distinction. So anyway, if that didn't make a whole lot of sense to you, just ignore me for a moment. All right, let's talk about pastor. The office of pastor. All right, there are three terms in the New Testament that refer to the same office. They're used interchangeably. You're going to be familiar with these terms. You're even going to be familiar with forms of the Greek term. In particular the two terms that you may not be as familiar with. You notice there, I'll just quickly run through them and then come back to it. The term elder comes from the Greek word presbyteros, or where you might get the term Presbyterian, right? You'd recognize that the name for the Presbyterian church comes from this title of elder. The second Greek term, episkopos, where the Episcopalian church would come from. It comes from the term of overseer. You'll see it written as overseer in your Bible. And it will be also translated sometimes as bishop. There will be your interchangeable ways you would look at that. Third term is pastor. This is a, uh, the term poyman. It is the idea of shepherding. It's meant to think of shepherding and caring for a flock. Oftentimes when you say the word shepherd or care for, that is that term. Elders typically meaning ministry of the word. Episcopos is meaning oversight. And this poimen is speaking to shepherding or caring for the flock. As you can tell, In veins of church history, people have separated these offices. Sometimes they'll put the term bishop and have this overseer that oversees multiple churches. Will build the organization above the local church that I spoke about earlier. I don't think that's so much the case. I'll show you, in short, from Acts chapter twenty, why I would make that case. Just a few verses. Acts chapter twenty, verse. 17, it says, now from Miletus, this is Paul, this is right before he's about to go, make his way, he's about to turn towards Rome, he's got his mind on that, he's in Miletus, He sent to Ephesus, he called the elders of the church to come to him, this is is that that emotional farewell moment from the elders of the church, he has such a connection to, and then when he came to him, he said to them, and then it has this long section, so, I'm going to jump all the way down to 28 in a second, but that's all a part of this speech he gives to the elders, okay? So let's first start with, he called the elders. So, So we have that term, presbyteros, laid out for us beginning there. So then, he's going to look at this group of elders, and in 28, he's going to use these next two terms all there for them. It says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you, and here's your word, episcopas, made you overseers. So, the same term here for the elder is now overseer. You are now providing oversight to the flock. Then the next phrase may not be quite as obvious, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. The term to care for is your shepherd or pastor term. Other places when... You know, Ephesians 4, he gave some as apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers, right? There is your term, Poeman, speaking about pastors, shepherds. 1 Peter 5, when it says shepherd the flock of God, same term. That's where we get the term pastor. So you get the idea the pastor is there for these three terms. That's where we get the idea in this office of pastor laid out in the New Testament. So, that being said, uh, let, let, let me take this pause. Presbyterians would be led from an elder board. Therefore, the key distinction of the doctrine of being a Presbyterian is elder, ruled, led. That's how you make a decision. So, if this was ever interesting to you, why in the world they call them Presbyterians? Well, now you've drawn it back to the Greek word, the Greek word of elder, and now you look at a church like that and you say, well, they have elders. Now, it may not mean you can't still have elders. You could still think of pastors as elders. It's all the same thing. But the distinction that sets a Presbyterian apart, there's multiple things, but one of them is the highlight of elder-led. It's actually put in the name that describes why they are different. Let's look at the qualifications, then I'll wrap up. Now, the qualifications of pastor in 1 Timothy 3. I'd like to point out a few things in the list. First of all, 1 Timothy 3, saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. I'll start at base level here one time, oftentimes by counsel, um, one of our young interns, maybe somebody that desires to go into the pastoral ministry, say, what are the requirements on my life? Before you get into the list of character requirements, the Bible does put a first one in there. The Lord puts a desire in your heart to do such a task. It's right there out of the gate. If a person, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, there is a desire in the heart of young man that desires to do this. The Lord has placed that in me. Then there's a list. Again, this is one. He will not address the wives. He'll address the house. Let's just roll through it a little bit. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. And then we pause. The next phrase is different than any of the rest. Must be able to teach. There's nothing in the last, you notice with deacons, there's nothing about teaching. This would be what distinguishes somewhat the office of pastor, is an ability to teach. Does not always mean uh, that you have to be super interesting, which might be good for me tonight, right? So you might think, do they always have to be the most dynamic, fascinating person ever to listen to? What it means is, are they able to instruct and rightly give answers for the Word of God? Can they teach you clearly about what the Word of God says? Are they able to do that? That's a, it's not just, so it's not just a character. It's actually something that you're able to do and something that the church should affirm. So there's a little distinction there for the elder, pastor, overseer role. Then it goes through a long list of um, things that are true. So able to teach, um, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Um, He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. I tell you what, Uh, you know shepherding people as as a pastor has its blessings it has its challenges at times because you have to deal with a variety of people sometimes difficult people sometimes and you have to be able to handle it in a way that even if somebody says a cross word to you or somebody acts in an ungodly manner you have to be able to manage yourself well right there's nothing worse than you watching somebody, even if they don't say something to me right, me not handling it well. I need to be able to handle that. I need to be able to act in a godly manner when even somebody else may not. So I need to be able to manage things. Like, and there's no greater test in my heart and life than my house, right? I mean, children, the challenges, just dead level honesty. I mean the challenges of just being married. I mean, it, the selflessness it requires of you, and the, the time, the energy, the grace it requires. It just, it it draws it all out of you, and in many ways, that's why I see that as a crucial component of being able to do what I feel are the demands during the week. It I can feel that if I couldn't do one, I would probably not be able to do the other. Uh, verse five: for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Must not be recent convert, must not be puffed up with conceit or full, or fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by bystanders, so he may not fall into disgrace into the snare of the devil. A distinction here, as I've made already, is the pastor uh, would be male only. Again, to clarify our position here, we are, even in these moments, we speak about a, a position where it is for males only. We believe there's equal in role, or different in role, but equal in value. Just because you play a different role in any sort of moment in life does not change your value before God. I give this example fairly often. My role right now is to lead this class, right? I'm up here to guide and to, to carry our time through right now. Does God in any way see me as more valuable than he does you? Absolutely not. You don't think that. You don't think, well, God, God clearly likes Mike a little bit more than us, right? That's not true. It's just my role at this time. It is the responsibility that God has placed for me and for us. It's it's our role. It does not change value. And so... In this regard, if we do believe the man is the head of the household, we also believe we do have males in the role of pastor. This is the distinction that oftentimes will, when the church is pressed on the Bible, this is one of the first places that people will begin to give. Uh, I was listening to, if you ever listen to The Briefing by Al Mohler, uh, I love, it's a daily podcast. Al Mohler's the president of Southern Seminary, and he comments on stuff going on in church life, and there was just a big major decision for the Methodist church to swing back towards conservative Orthodox Christianity. It was a a great, great move uh, for a, a mainline denomination. And in the Methodist church, they made this big shift, but one of the points he made is Usually the first thing when people are going to leave Orthodox Christianity, and it may seem harmless, is they'll say they'll begin to falter on this text and begin to see females as pastors. But almost inevitably, if you watch this in our culture, as soon as the church affirms that, they're going down a path where they will affirm many more things following. If you watch them now, the churches that have done that years ago now will affirm homosexuality, will affirm... and. it just opens, once you start being able to ignore certain texts, you start ignoring lots more texts. So I just make this point, because Moeller's point was, once this is stepped on, there's a lot more that churches begin to step on after. So, again, I'm not trying to be offensive in that regard, I'm just trying to say that that is a particular point of attack in our culture. Uh, that as we, kind of, if we hold that position, it's distinctly different than some other denominations uh, that will embrace more because of it. So, anyway, I hope this was encouraging to you, uh, maybe in some way enlightening, to how churches are organized, how we organize as a church, uh, what it looks like to be a Southern Baptist church, um, what it looks like even for the offices that we pick, why we pick them, uh, why we do what we do, uh, because we it's thought out. It has intention. And so when you choose the Baptist Church or um, Presbyterian Church, you're choosing something. And and, and I'll say one last thing. I don't don't really mean this as a shot, but I will say that, that one of the things that have come in the recent years is churches have taken the denomination out of the name. Now, some of that, there's some baggage that people wrongly hold to certain denominations so they in their minds they think we don't want the baggage that comes with that name i think that's probably right-hearted i'm not going to say it's definitely wrong but one of the things that's happened is that churches now begin to hide the doctrine in a sense now you don't know what you're going to and i again i I don't want to sound like I'm just attacking all Because there are some great and wonderful and godly churches that love Jesus, worship the Lord, love the Bible, and I think they're doing awesome things, and they don't have the denomination in their name. What my word of caution is, is that people just blindly walk in and don't actually look at what they believe. Before, you just know. You went to the Baptist church in town, you went down to the other, other place, you moved, you went, okay, there's the Baptist church, I'm going to the Baptist church. Like, it's just, in some ways, it, once you decided what you believed, it made it easy for you. But now you don't know. You don't know if you're walking into a church of Christ. You don't know if you're walking... Do, you know do you know what the distinctions are between a church of Christ and a Baptist church? You don't know if you're walking into a Presbyterian church, Methodist church. So I bring all this up just to say that this stuff does play a role in the life of what we do and whether you if god god takes you away from charlotte one day and you move and you have to pick a new church or whether you know somebody picking a new church uh, these things do matter they're not they're not the gospel i understand that but they do matter some of them are the gospel and just make sure you pay attention to what people actually believe let's go to the word the lord in prayer tonight heavenly father we thank you for our great church We thank You for the gift of it. We thank You for Your Word, how we can lean on it, how we can trust it. God, I pray that You would strengthen the deacons that serve our church, that in so many different capacities as I've even seen them today, serving just the body, loving people, taking care of physical needs. Even today, Lord, our deacons have been at work. We're very thankful for them, Lord thankful for how they serve us. Lord, continue to keep their walk with you strong as they serve the physical needs. May they be spiritually strong. Lord, also uh, pray for our pastors. God, I pray that you would keep us strong walking with you. God, give us a spirit that loves you and hates the world. And Lord, just keep us pure in our walk. Keep our our ability to manage our households and all the list of godly attributes. God, by your grace, sustain us so that we might lead your church well, care for your church well, shepherd it well. And Lord, we thank you for this uh, good night and time in the Word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.